Good morning, church. Today's reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether, then, it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn. Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. When it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do if they are baptised for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers, 
just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought, and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body, and as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies, but the splendour of the heavenly bodies is of one kind, and the splendour of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendour, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendour. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable, it is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must close itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Thanks, Rita family. Well, 
yes, today we are looking at the statement from the Apostles' Creed. Um, I believe in the resurrection of the body. Um, and you can see um, that we're up to the second last of our sermons in this, um, in this long series we've been doing since March um, with a few things in between along the way, one Peter on the way. Um, and uh, next week actually won't be the last of the sermons because um, next week Robin Boozy is going to be speaking to us. Um, and um, I've, I've, uh, we have in, in our series spread through the year for what I'm calling the justice sermons. And, um, and the last one you remember Joe spoke about um, caring for, for the climate. And um, this next one is about violence against women. And Robin will be speaking to us about that Um uh, next week um, so looking forward to that and then the following week Rob's going to end the Apostles Creed series looking at the life everlasting um, well when we talk about the resurrection of the body um, what are we talking about the resurrection of the body uh, it's not referring just to Jesus resurrection of the body because I remember when I used to say the Apostles Creed over and over again when I was um, young uh, in church, I just assumed, yeah, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe, I thought that that's what it was talking about, you know, the, the resurrection of the body. In, in actual fact, it's talking about um, the resurrection of the body, both Jesus and also um, all those who are in Christ when Jesus returns. See, what Paul says is, um, he says in the uh, first, uh, first letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 4, um, he says that at the end of history, Jesus will come down from heaven uh, with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, he says, and the trumpet call of God. And those Christians who have already died will rise um, first. And then after that, the Christians who are still alive will be caught up and meet the Lord and will be with him forever. No Christians will miss out on the, on the resurrection of the body not even those who have died. It's going to be in a remarkable day. On that day, the Holy Spirit is going to move probably more dramatically than ever, um, even more dramatically than he did on the first day of creation, more dramatically and inspiringly than on Pentecost. This day will be more glorious than all of that. The Spirit will knit together the dry bones in the valley and put flesh back on them so that they will become walking and talking human beings. God will raise people up in the same way that he raised Jesus from the dead. This is perhaps one of the most exciting things Christians believe and hold on to. It's our hope for the victory in the end. It's what we yearn for. Paul writes in Romans 8 verse 19, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, death has entered the world. Not just death for humans, but death and decay for the whole creation. So now the whole creation longs for salvation. When we feel anxiety about the pandemic and we get depressed hearing about the nursing homes in, in Victoria at the moment, when we get angry about the ways 
governments and multinational companies pollute the earth, when we have horrible arguments with our family members, when relationships break down, when we wish things in our life were better, it's at those times that we yearn for the whole creation, for the redemption of our bodies. When I was a teenager, I started to really feel the ache of life. I felt the pressure of life, the stresses of school and family, normal teenage stuff. And there was a song that I used to listen to uh, that spoke to me. I really connected to it, and it was actually called The Yearning, this song. It was written by, funnily enough, it was written by Lucy Floyd's uncle, Uncle Greg Arnold. And he recorded, recorded it with his band, which Lucy's dad is in still to this day, called Things of Stone and Wood. And it's the title song of their first album, The Yearning. I used to lie in bed and listen to it. And it talks about the ache that we all have um, that causes us to yearn, the ache inside of us for a better life, the longing for justice, the search for the meaning of existence. Well, let's listen to the song and maybe as we hear it, you can reflect on your yearning that you have. Thank you for Lucy for kindly recording it for us.
one writer I read um, said that to be Christian is to yearn. But I actually think to be human is to yearn. But why don't we look at um, what this passage says in 1 Corinthians 15. Christians can yearn in a kind of a, a way that's different from everyone else because Christians can yearn with hope. And this is what it means when we say we believe in the resurrection of the dead. We are pointing to what it is we hope for. Hope for the redemption of our bodies. This is a huge way that the creed ends. What is it referring to? It's referring to what happens after we die. To be Christian is to see death as terrible, the enemy and the object of our hatred. But also to be Christian is to look forward to the final destruction of death. And this is what's going to occur on the Lord's Day. Christ's final victory. On that day, the dead will rise. This will be the great day of the resurrection of our bodies. So let's turn to our passage in 1 Corinthians 15. As we hold on to that feeling of yearning. And see what it says about that day. And I've got three things that I want to say this morning. Firstly, that... Resurrection is the most important doctrine. Secondly, Christ is our resurrection pattern. And thirdly, God will resurrect your body. Well, firstly, resurrection is the most important doctrine. What this chapter shows us is that the doctrine of the resurrection of the body is the most important doctrine. If you don't have it, you don't have Christianity, basically. The whole thing unravels. And Paul makes this point because there were some Christians uh, around the church in Corinth who didn't believe that resurrection of the body could actually occur. Paul writes, How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? He explains that if there's no resurrection of the dead then Christ has not been raised from the dead. And if Christ hasn't risen, then all the ministry that he's been doing, all the churches he's planted, all the evangelism and teaching he's been doing has all been a big waste of time. And he says it would mean that he's been misrepresenting God because he's been saying all along that it was God who raised Jesus from the dead. He says, look, this doctrine is everything. If you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of the body, then you don't believe Christ has been raised. And so your faith is useless. It is futile. It is worthless. And if that is the case, that would be a terrible thing because you would all be dead in your sins, he says. And more than that, everyone who has died before us has no hope has no future. We have no hope for the afterlife, if that was the case. And so we should be pitied, he says. But in fact, he says in verse 20 of the the chapter, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
If you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead and you call yourself a Christian, you've completely missed the point of what it means to be a Christian. You've missed the glorious conclusion to the big storyline of the Bible. Jesus would turn into a deceitful cult leader if, if, if this was not true. If, if, you're, if you call yourself a Christian who doesn't believe in the resurrection, then you're saying that Jesus was a liar. But read the Gospels. Do you really think that Jesus was out to con people? The resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of the body, is the most important Christian doctrine. Well, secondly, we look at Christ as our resurrection pattern. The way Paul wants us to understand the doctrine is to think of Christ as the first resurrected one and that Christians follow in this pattern. Before we were saved by Christ, we were dead in our sins according to the pattern of Adam. And, and he sets up this, this uh, uh, picture here of Adam and Christ. For, by one, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. God has created a better pattern for humanity, the pattern of Jesus Christ. Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead, like the first fruits of the harvest. When you're, if you're a farmer, he's, he's a taste and a guarantee of the full harvest of resurrection yet to come. And so Christians follow in the pattern of his resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, and in a way become like the second fruits uh, of, the, of the resurrection of the dead. So what is the difference between Adam and Christ that Paul is putting up here? Well, Adam is like, you think of him as the first head of, of humanity. Through him, death and sin spread to all people. Um, through Adam, humans became enslaved to death and Satan. Through Adam, humanity lay helpless and fell under the judgment and wrath of God. But in Christ... God offers a new head of humanity. A new head who brings freedom and hope to all who look to him in faith. Jesus Christ brings his righteousness to humanity. A new head who, br who brings freedom and hope to all who look to him. He brings forgiveness and salvation. He brings new life for all. The crown on the gift of salvation that Christ gives is the glorification of our body, the body of the believer. It is the resurrection of their body to eternal life. And this is what Christians truly yearn for. Hope for the resurrection, eternal life when Christ appears. Christians yearn for something that will never pass away. Christians yearn for life, of eternal joy and peace in Christ. And as we think more about the pattern of Christ that Christ offers, we think more about what the resurrection of the body signifies. It actually signifies the end of evil. 
Because not only will we receive our resurrection body, but evil will be defeated at that time. Paul writes in, in verse 24 and 25, He must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. So when Christ comes, the end comes. Satan is defeated. Death is defeated. All the nations will crumble before him. The triumph of Christ over his enemies and his eternal reign is, is the incom incomparable end for which Christians hope and long. On that day, we will receive our resurrection bodies. It's like the great cosmic siren at the end of history. It, it will trumpet. That's, the, that's the, the language that Paul uses. It will trumpet throughout the universe. It's the end of the fourth quarter of God's grand final. And Jesus will have victory over sin and death. It will be Jesus doing the victory lap. It will be Jesus' theme song blaring through the universe. And all of God's children will sing the victory song together. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. This will be the fulfilment of a great prophecy of the defeat of death. Paul writes in verse 54 of the chapter, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So on that day of resurrection, the death of death finally occurs. The power of sin over all creation will be crushed to oblivion for all eternity. And Christ's victory will begin the new ages for God and his people. When we receive our resurrection bodies, it tells the universe that God has had final victory over Satan, sin and death. It's the beginning of a new age of eternity without death. And so Paul says, thanks be to God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And on the basis of this, Paul says, we can live Christians can defy death in the sense that we can all die safely. And this brings us to our third point, which is that God will resurrect your body. Paul is writing to the Christians because he wants them to actually believe this. Um, that God will raise them physically. Now you might find it all a bit hard to believe. You, you can conceive of a person having a heart attack and then, you know, the, the paramedics performing, you know, a resuscitation on the person and then they sort of, their heart starts beating again. But what about people who have been dead for a long time? What about people who have been cremated and the ashes sprinkled in the sea? Good point. To that, Paul speaks boldly and he says, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. 
He says that if you struggle to believe in a resurrection body, then think about God's almighty power. See, it is God who makes the insects in the ground, the glorious insects. It is God who makes the plants in the field out of seeds. It is God who makes the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. It is God who makes human beings. So surely, if this is the case, if this is, if this is the God who made the universe, then you can conceive of a situation where he could raise the dead. Even the dead who've been dead for thousands of years. Not only that, but think about the glories of the universe, the suns and the stars and the planets. You could conceive of him not only raising them, but raising them in a glorious way. So you should not doubt that he can raise your body from the dead. You might also ask a question, but you say, why would he want to raise my body? My body is morally weak. I have sinned in my body. Why would God bring this body back to life? And to this, Paul says, there is a difference between our first and second bodies. There's a discontinuity between what we have now and what we will have then. He says that our raised bodies will be imperishable. They will not waste away. They will endure forever. They will be glorious, full of splendor, powerful, animated by the Holy Spirit. And it has to be this way because corruptible flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom. When Jesus returns, those who have died and been and put their trust in Jesus, will be raised with immortal bodies. And those who are living, who have put their faith in Jesus, will instantly be changed into their immortal bodies. So we, we actually hope for a physical resurrection. It's not just a spiritual event. To be human is to be physical. So Christians can look forward to life in eternity with a physical body. It would be a bit like the body we have now, but there will also be differences, discontinuity between the old and the new. The weak things in our body will be replaced with power. The shame in our bodies will be replaced with honour. That which was wasting away will give way to an imperishable body that will never see or taste death. You might be a person who lives with illness, Perhaps you have chronic pain. Perhaps you have terrible migraines or you have a mental illness. Perhaps your body is completely failing you right now and disease is defeating you. And you have prayed for healing and others have prayed for your healing, but you are still sick. It's now that you can hold on most closely in your heart to your belief in the resurrection of the body. You can have hope knowing that in eternity your sickness will be gone. Your body will be healed. There will be no more trips to the doctor. 
No more hospital stay, stayovers. No more risky surgery. No more pain. This is the hope for the resurrection of our body. Paul says, in a mysterious way, our future bodies will be glorious. And he uses the image of a seed. He says that our body now is like a seed. And the resurrection body we will get is like the tree. Consider the enormous difference between the seed and the tree. They don't look the same at all. If you look at one seed, you wouldn't be able to draw the tree, would you? But in a biological sense, their identity is the same. And so Paul says, in the same way, our mortal bodies will be planted and will be raised immortal in Christ. And this is a great mystery. In eternity, we will be the same identical persons that we are now, yet so significantly different. It's a bit hard to understand. And this is why Paul says it's a mystery. C.S. Lewis tried to explain how to conceive of our future glorious body by saying that our future bodies will be more real, more substantial, and perhaps even more human than our present ones. Paul says, we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall all be changed. Paul tells us how we should respond to this truth. In verse 58, he says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So this is true. The the hard work and the challenge of the Christian life is not in vain. There's so much to live for. So many opportunities to serve God. While we face death, we march in victory because we know our future. Without hope in the resurrection of the dead, it's impossible to keep going as a Christian. There's no point. As Paul said, if the resurrection is not true, then we of all people should be pitied the most. Why? Because the Christian life is is the life of the cross. It, It constitutes a life of self-giving of pouring out of laying down of of fighting sin of bearing burdens in if in australia if you're a christian and you're upfront about your faith you get treated as a weirdo what big deal but in many other countries christians are violently persecuted for their faith then after that after experiencing all that treatment by others We face our enemy death. If the resurrection is just a myth, then we should all be pitied. But the resurrection is not a myth. Jesus did rise from the dead. And so will we if we have faith in him. So we can stare down death. We can be zealous in a Christ-like way. And we can yearn for the resurrection of our body. Amen.